Jesus says this, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. They seek after things like the, the food and the water and, and relationships and, and all of these things. They're seeking after them. They're seeking after them. Possessions, status. But what he doesn't say is don't seek after them at all. Rather, he says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. He's aware. He knows that you need them. You see, seek first is a statement of priority, not a statement of exclusivity. these words are true. They can be trusted throughout the ages. And I just want to even bring a recognition to the fact that some of these words have a little bit more gravity. They have some weight this week. Do not be troubled today, but tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. But seek first the kingdom. These words have gravity. I mean, even this week with school shootings in Texas, with the Memorial Day, what we remember this weekend, with many of the personal struggles and weights that you carry. And I, I can't think of any more appropriate way than to start out a passage where we're clinging to the truth of God's word than to go before God and just ask him to help us. Ask him to help make his word alive to us. His word is true. It can be trusted even when it doesn't seem like it, even when the brokenness and the evil of this world is right in our face. And so would you just bow your heads with me and could we ask God for mercy, ask him for help, Jesus, we need you. We confess our need for you. Even this week, as we've seen families destroyed and hurt, innocent people killed, even in this room and those watching online, we feel the weight of that. We feel the weight of personal hardship and struggle. There is difficulty. There is death. There is hardship in this world. It's not as it should be. And yet we cling to Jesus. We cling to the hope of the world that says you can be trusted, that we don't have to worry about tomorrow because you're with us today, bringing peace that surpasses understanding. And so Jesus, we just ask in your name, have mercy. Even together out loud, church, can we just say, Lord, have mercy together. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us and may you make us into the kind of people that seek your kingdom first because this world needs a church that is love in the world. This, need, this world needs church that is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness. They need us to be Jesus. So help us to be a people that seek first you, your kingdom, your righteousness. We trust you, Jesus. And we give you the weight and the difficulty knowing that you're going to come through. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name as the whole church said, amen, amen. Well, church, today we're looking at Matthew chapter 6. And before we do that, I just want to pause for a second and introduce myself to those of you that don't know me. My name is A.J. Wilk. I'm a pastor here on staff at Trinity Church, and I actually get to help with two key areas of ministry. Uh, first is mobilization. If you go out these doors and go to the left, you'll see what's your next step on the wall out there. And I would just love to have a conversation with you as we take next steps in our faith, as we live sent, even as we say at the end of every service, what it means to even live out the gospel in our day-to-day -day lives. We'd love to have a conversation with you, my wife, Michaela. 
and I love connecting, grabbing meals, and just uh, getting to know you all more and more. And then the second area of ministry I lead at Trinity is Awaken, which is our college and young adult ministry. So if you're a college student or if you're a young adult, please find me. We'd love to connect. And if you love or know a college student or young adult, uh, have them get connected with me. And we'd love to have them join us on Tuesdays at 715 as we pursue what God's doing in that generation um, together. Well, as I said, uh, we're going to Matthew chapter 6, and so you can open your Bibles. There's Bibles in the uh, seats in front of you, and it's page 900, uh, so you can go there if you'd like to follow along. But what we're doing is we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to go into your heart? What does it mean for Scripture to not just be words on a screen or words on a page, but actually words that transform and shape our very hearts and our very lives? I'll say this. The Word of God cannot be separated from the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us insight into the Word. And so even as we read, as we prayed earlier, we need help. We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word to us, to reveal what it means and how it can actually sit in our hearts and and transform us, move us forward in our lives. And so with that, we've been learning about how much we need the Holy Spirit, how much we need Him to, to help us. With the word, we've also learned, as Pastor Mike and Pastor Kathy have preached over the past few weeks, we've learned how much context matters. We're memorizing a couple of verses of Scripture, but in the context of where Scripture sits, where these couple of verses sit, it are very beautiful and deeper ways to understand how God wants to speak to us and how He wants to reveal His heart. And so with that, I want to talk about the context of Matthew chapter 6 for a second. So imagine with me, Jesus is making his way up a mountainside. And as he's making his way up a mountainside, a plethora of people, tons of people are following after him, seeking, I want to know what is this Jesus guy? Who is he? What is he doing? He's healing people. He's got power. And they're all kind of seeking after this truth. And what Jesus does in this inaugural sermon, in this first sermon where he paints what the kingdom of God is like, he's essentially doing this. He's giving us a picture of what heaven on earth looks like. That'll be on the screen. The Sermon on the Mount gives us a picture of what heaven on earth looks like. So in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, for one of the very first times, people are getting a glimpse into what is heaven on earth. What does it look like to be part of heaven on earth? I prayed this earlier. We prayed this earlier. Lord, have mercy. I don't know about you. We need more heaven on earth. We need more Jesus. We need more love. We need more sacrifice. We need more selflessness in this world. We need more heaven on earth, church. And so I would just invite you all this morning, let's lean in together. If Jesus is teaching us what heaven on earth looks like, let's lean in together because we certainly need it. Our world needs hope. And love. It also teaches us in this passage what it doesn't look like. So th- there's the picture of what it does look like. There's the picture of what it doesn't look like. Jesus talks through all of these different things. And, and as I said, the main thread, the, the common theme in all of these people coming to the mountain was that there was a curiosity in them that there might be more. Some came for very selfish more reasons. That, and let's just even think through some of the people that might have been on that mountainside that afternoon. There might have been Roman soldiers building their own empire literally on the backs of people that were there. 
There may have been single moms desperate to even know where their kids are going to be fed the next few days. There might have been a Gentile who has felt such an outcast, such a held at arm's length, distant from God his whole life, and he just wants to know what it's like to be loved and to be accepted. Some people are coming for good reasons. Some people are coming for really bad reasons. They want to increase their own dominance, increase their own power and authority. And what Jesus does is, yes, he focuses on specific issues throughout these passages. Yes, he talks about what relationships look like and how he's going to provide for our needs, the clothing like that he clothes the grass of the fields. He's going to also provide our food like he provides for the birds of the air. He talks about those individual issues. But we see Jesus focus on this theme the most. And this theme is this, being hungry, thirsty, seeking first Jesus, putting him first in our lives. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. It's this idea that Jesus is calling a people to put him at the center, to keep him first. Chapter 7, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 28 and 29, they say this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he finishes his sermon, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Turn to your neighbor and say amazed. Amazed. You can do it online too. I just won't be able to hear you. But the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. First of all, it's a little bit of a shot at the teachers of the law that day. They obviously weren't doing very well in preaching the, the faithful word of God. But Jesus is, people are amazed at Jesus' teaching because he's preaching with actual authority. He's preaching with something that they haven't heard before, they haven't seen before. So even as he talks about these specific issues and weaves that thread of being hungry and thirsty and putting God first, they're amazed because he has actual authority. And why does he have actual authority? Because he's been able to do what no rabbi, what no teacher of the law, what no prophet even before has ever been able to do. He's able to actually bring heaven to earth. He has the authority in himself, the God-man, fully God, fully man, to bring heaven to earth. And he says, you know what? You get to be part of that too. I have the authority to do it, but I'm inviting you to be part of bringing heaven to earth as well. That's why they were amazed. It wasn't just some new insight. It wasn't just some new intellectual phrase that they heard. It was, wow, this person, this Jesus, he actually can bring heaven to earth. He can actually bring about a kingdom that is eternal, that is everlasting, that will never die. That's why they're amazed. And I ask us today, I'm amazed. And don't we want to be part of this 2,000 years later? Don't we want to be part of the people that seek first his kingdom, that get to be part of the greatest story ever told? I, I want to be part of that. So when Jesus invites those people on the mountain, here the invitation is also for you today. It's also for me today. Now, we see in the Sermon on the Mount and also throughout Jesus' teaching that he taught in parables, and parables even helped people understand. Today, we use illustrations, and, and sometimes illustrations involve some audience participation. So I need that from you all today. Um, I want you to help me with this. Go back to your 10-year-old self, or maybe 12-year-old self, whatever it was. Think of one of your favorite Christmases or birthdays. If you're watching online, you can do this too. And I want you, and humor me here, I want you to take the posture 
you would take when mom and dad would say, I've got your gift for you, get ready. And so what posture would you take? Would there be a smile on your face? Would your arms be out? Let me see some postures of you would take if you're about ready to receive a gift from your parents as a kid. All right, well, we've got a few people participating. Let's get, let's get some more. What, what, what would we see? What would we see? Yes, hands open, probably a smile on our face. Now, think of your favorite possession as a kid. Th- think of the thing you prized most dearly. For me, it was my baseball glove. It was a Wilson A2000 baseball glove, and, and I loved that thing. I, I loved playing catch with my dad and brothers. And imagine now somebody's trying to take your prized possession from you. Well, what's the posture you're going to take now? It's, it's going to be holding it tight. So we, don't, don't touch this. I like my baseball glove. Leave me alone. The contrast between these two postures, even as fun and childlike as they might be, give us an insight into the kind of way that Jesus asks us to participate in his kingdom. These kingdom values that he's... T- that he's talking about, that he's teaching on. The fact that the kingdom is eternal, it's others-centered, it's present. I mean, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, but be present to today. That means that I'm not going to focus and cast my anxiety on tomorrow, and I'm not going to be defined by my past, my past mistakes. Jesus allows us to be present in the moment. That's an eternal value generosity. If I have something, it's for others and others benefit. These are kingdom values. The way we live kingdom values is not like this, not my prized possession. Don't touch it. Don't take it from me. The way we live kingdom is we live with open hands saying, Jesus, thank you for letting me participate. Thank you for letting me be part of this kingdom life. Now, there are things we would be tempted to want to really hold on tightly to it and make sure what we're providing for. Even in verse 32, Jesus says this, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. They seek after things like the the food and the water and and relationships and, and all of these things. They're seeking after them. They're seeking after them. Possessions, status. But what he doesn't say is don't seek after them at all. Rather, he says your heavenly father knows that you need them. He's aware. He knows that you need them. You see, seek first is a statement of priority, not a statement of exclusivity. So Jesus is asking that the kingdom would be first, but he doesn't mean that we never think about how we're going to have our next meal. We never think about how we're going to be excellent in our jobs, but he's saying, what's first? What's the priority of your life? God wants us to be aware of our needs. He's in fact aware of our needs and loves to provide for us. What God doesn't want is for us to be anxiously fixated on how we provide for those needs. Rather, he wants us to have this posture of openness. I'll say it like this. Hold things in this life loosely. We don't own anything or anyone, but we are stewards of what God has given us. 
your spouse, your children, your best friends, your coworkers. We don't own anyone. We don't even have the, the rights to say that they are mine. In fact, God has gifted every important person, every meal, everything we have in our lives is a gift from God. And he calls us to be stewards of these people, stewards of these things. Biblical stewardship means we have a posture of openness that says, thank you, God, for giving me this. Thank you for allowing me to have the spouse that I do, to have the kids that I have, to have the roommates, the friendships that I have, the status, the wealth, the prosperity that I have. Thank you for that, but I don't clench and hold on to it like I own it. It's a gift from God. What does our memorization verse say? It says, his kingdom his righteousness, not ours, his kingdom, his righteousness, the rest will be what? Given to us? They're gifts from God. I just want to reiterate, before we move any further with this passage, the importance that our heart posture has to be, it's given. We get to participate, we get to be part of it, but but it's not ours to hold. I was actually listening to a sermon And this opened my eyes to what Jesus might be meaning by seek first the kingdom. And uh, this sermon was by a preacher named Miriam. And and Miriam is one of these preachers who I even emulate to be like she really communicates God's word clearly and and just love hearing her preach. Um, She talked about this idea that in the kingdom, things like righteousness, his righteousness, things like holiness, Things like putting God first, those are things where she goes to preach somewhere and she'll say a word like, put God first in your life or seek righteousness or be holy like God is holy. And she feels the the congregation or the place she's speaking at kind of go like, oh, here we go again. Righteousness, holiness, putting God first. And she says, somehow in our churches, we've messed up by the fact that holiness, righteousness, seeking God first, it's become more of like a, a task list or like a burdensome thing. It's become like, all right, dang it, here's what I have to do now. Here's, here's what I have to figure out. The preacher's going to tell me more, more of what I have to do. And she says, that should be the exact opposite. Putting God first in your life, seeking his righteousness, being holy like God is holy, as even Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6, that should be some of the most life-giving, most fun, exciting, joy-filled, peace-filled life that anyone could ever live. We shouldn't go like, dang it, we got to talk about righteousness and kingdom again. We should be like, yes, let's talk more about it. Let's seek God faster and further and deeper and stronger. She said this actually changed for her about 15 years ago. She was in a group, maybe very much like a community group here at Trinity. So she was in like a Trinity type group at her church. And this group asked a question that changed their perspective on seeking first God and his kingdom and his righteousness forever. They said this, what can we do to put Jesus first in our lives? Very simple. What can we do to put Jesus first in our lives? Very similar to this passage, right? But seek first the kingdom. They were asking the question, what can we do to put Jesus first in our lives? And she says there's one word in that question that they focused on and kind of changed their attitude towards this forever. And that word was can. What can we do? You see, 
their entire lives, they had thought through the lens of what do we have to do? What do I have to do to be generous? What do I have to do to be holy? What do I have to do to seek Jesus first and put him first in my life? What do I have to do? And they said just flipping that with the optimism, with the openness of saying, what can I do? What does God want to lead me in? What can I do to, to live full of God's kingdom? It changed her group forever. And they started living Jesus' first lives. They started living lives that were crazy generous. She even talked about in the sermon that I listened to that by the time they were 10 years down the road and and lots of her group had been, they'd been established in jobs, they were raising families, that they were just giving away laughable amounts of money, that they were serving for ridiculous amounts of time, that that they were praying together for so much time. It was like, that seems so inconvenient. That seems so weird. Why would you do that? The question we have to ask is not what do I have to do, but what can I do? What has God given me and what can I do to seek first his kingdom? I'm going to ask some questions here that just kind of illustrate this idea. Instead of asking, how free do I have to be from sin? How free do I have to be from the things that hold me down? No, no, no. How free can you get? Not, oh, how generous do I have to be? What do I have to do? Do I have have to give 10%? Let me calculate it perfectly. No, 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 no. How generous can you get? God, what do I have to do to get purpose in my life? No, no, no. How purposeful can you get? It's this switch that goes from I have to, I'm going to impose it on myself. God's going to impose it on me. That's not God's heart. God's heart is a smile to you saying, look at your life. Look at all that I've given you. What can you do for my kingdom? What can you do? I'm inviting you into this. I'll ask it this way. Church, how much could your life advance the kingdom of God with what he's given you? What can you do? When we see the kingdom like this, we want it. We want a life full of this much purpose, this much freedom, this much generosity, and the people around us want it too. This is what God's people do. God's people are kingdom first people that ask, how free can I get? How much can I give? And I just want to even pause for a moment here and say this as an encouragement to our church. You, as God's people at Trinity Church, do this. You all do this really well, actually. In the few years I've been around, I have been blown away by the stories of how you all are kingdom-first people. And and I'm going to share actually a few different stories of things. And and as I share these stories, I just want you to ask the question of the Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind ways today, this week, or this year maybe, that I can seek the kingdom first? Just, just think about that. Ask the Holy Spirit, how can I live kingdom first? Even as I'm sharing stories, maybe God sparked something in you. And again, it's not a have to. I'm going to share a bunch of stories. You don't have to do any of these things, but you can because God's given you opportunity. First story, and this has just been amazing to watch throughout our church. Actually, all of our campuses, many different families through adoption, through foster care, and through other means, have brought children into their homes and given them a place to sleep, an identity in our church, that they have given them something, one of the best things you can give to someone in life, you've given them family. 
I mean, it's one of the most beautiful gifts we could ever give. And so many people in our church, literally through adoption, through foster care, through other means, have said, you know what? It might be difficult on us. It might be even cause a little bit of tension in our marriage to our family, but we're not going to think of just us. I'm not going to think of just my needs. I'm going to think, how can I live kingdom first? And children's lives are being changed because we are saying yes to Jesus. We're saying yes to a kingdom first life in our church through adoption, through foster care, through bringing children into our home. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. I've also heard multiple stories about how some of us have given away possessions that are like unbelievable, literally cars in our church, just giving it away. Saying, you know what? Yeah, it might be a little bit inconvenient. It might be difficult for me to give away a car, but think about the transportation that it's gonna provide for someone else. Think about the way they're gonna go to work. They're gonna be able to provide for their family. Church, you all are thinking kingdom first. You're not thinking of me first, my life first. You're thinking kingdom first. One of my favorite things that we do at Trinity, even as a church as a whole, is we partner with Destiny Rescue. Talk about a kingdom first story. Church, in the last four years, we have given as a church, above and beyond regular tithes and offerings, we have given tens of thousands of dollars to the point where 62 boys and girls have been rescued from sex slavery. 62. Yeah, you can cheer for that. That's amazing. There's probably a chance, it's actually a very high chance, that not a single one of us will ever meet one of those boys or girls on this earth. We will probably never reap a reward here on this earth for that. It is completely outside of ourselves. It's thinking kingdom first, but you want to know who we might see in heaven in eternity, in this eternal kingdom? We might see those boys or girls. It's about thinking kingdom first, not me first. And God's asking, what can you do? A couple more stories. And again, just let God spark ideas. I think God's beginning to stir this in quite a few of our people, but, but I know many of you in morning and evening times give a ridiculous amount of time to prayer to a point where it's really inconvenient. It, it's not even that normal, but you are so burdened for the people in your lives that need Jesus, for our country, for our city, for our schools, for everywhere we are, you are praying and you are asking God, you are contending, God, would you move? And it's in prayer that God is moving your heart, that he's activating you to action, to live out this love. In prayer, we have a, a people and groups of people in our church that are saying, kingdom first. The world looks at prayer and says, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I waste an hour, two hours, three hours praying? But we know that what God can do in 10 minutes might take us 10 years to do. He's the God who's still active and living today, and we're asking him to move. That's kingdom first. One last story, and I think our church does this maybe better. I don't want to pat ourselves on the back, but, but good job, everybody. Maybe better than many places I've seen. You all live with an openness and, and just a generosity, even when it comes to the idea of if you have a warm meal, the person in your neighborhood should have a warm meal. If you have a place to sleep, somebody else should have a place to sleep. You all are open with your homes, you're open with your finances, you're open with your houses, and we are living kingdom first, not just thinking me and mine, but thinking, Jesus, how can your kingdom be advanced? Do we see how in God's way and in God's stories, it's more about the kingdom 
and it's less about us. Now, in a lot of these stories, there's a chance that the enemy might slip a lie here. He might slip something that can actually be catastrophic to our faith as believers, and that that lie would be that we are the people that control the kingdom moving forward. That it's based on our actions, our ways of living, that the kingdom actually is advanced. And I just want to put this on the screen. The pressure to move the kingdom forward isn't on us. The pressure is not on you. Remove the pressure. Actually, turn to your neighbor. You can do this online too. Say, the pressure is not on you. Pressure is not on you. The pressure is actually on God. His shoulders are big enough. He can do it. He's the God of ages. As much as you love the people in your life that don't know Jesus, as much as you want to see the kingdom advanced, God loves them more. He wants the kingdom advanced more. The pressure can rest on God. But you want to know what's on us? The participation. How beautiful is it that 2,000 years later, when after Jesus first gave this sermon and invited the Roman soldier, the Gentile, the single mom, and everyone in between to seek first his kingdom, he invited everyone... How beautiful is it that today he invites you to? He says, yes, come. You can seek first my kingdom. You can participate in the greatest redemption story ever told. God will be the one to reach people with his love. He will be the one to do it. But he might invite you to participate in it. I'm going to go ahead and invite Alyssa back up on stage um, to play for us as we close here. And this question's already been on the screen, but but I want you even to to be thinking about this. Um, Let's ask the Holy Spirit now and often, how can I live kingdom first? Now and often, how can I live kingdom first? It might not be giving away three cars. It might not be praying for five hours a day. It might, but it might not. But maybe it does start today, right after service, if you go to breakfast or lunch, maybe you have an encouraging conversation with your waiter. Maybe you ask how you can pray for them. Maybe you tip them a laughable amount in the world's eyes. Maybe today it might be praying with your kids and saying, you know what, family, we're going to put Jesus first today. We're going to spend time just asking God to heal, asking God to restore. It's been a hard week. It's been a hard year. It's honestly been a hard season. And we're going to ask God. We're going to model love. These things like generosity, being a staple of the kingdom, prayer as the language of love as we talk to God, he talks back to us and moves our hearts into action. All of this seeking Christ first is a prophetic witness to the world around us. It speaks clearly to the culture that says putting Jesus first is the best. I want to close with a story that maybe helps us take a first step in living for the kingdom. And I was actually 
playing Euchre a few nights ago with my friend Ed Hoover. He, he goes to the other campus, East Fishers. If you ever walk in the front door at that campus, you'll see him smiling at you, greeting you on the greeting team. And we went out and played Euchre with some friends. And um, I just want to give honor where honor's due. So many people that have been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive, just being around them helps me. Just being around who they are helps me in my faith. And so uh, young guys in the front, um, my young adults, let's just spend time with people that have been following Jesus longer than we've been alive. I, I think that can uh, be hugely beneficial. But I was just spending time with Ed and I was talking through this sermon with him a little bit. I'm like, Ed, man, I'm just trying to think, what are some practices? What are some things that, that we could do to, to live kingdom first? What, what, what should we do? And he said this, I'll, I'll never forget it. And he kind of exposed me for th going to doing first rather than being. But he said this, he said, AJ, over the years and especially in the last few years, I found it's less about what I do and more about being aware that Jesus is with me every moment. It's less about specifically what I do and more about being aware that Jesus is with me every moment. When he said that in the car driving back, I was just like, yep, that's it. The Holy Spirit is our guide. Jesus is our guide. The Father's love is our guide. He will guide us into a kingdom first life. He will be the one to make all things new. And if we can just recognize church that he's with us every moment, he never leaves us or forsakes us. Jesus' last words to his disciples, I will be with you always now and until the end of the age. He says that to us. And so church, I wonder if we could be a people that just increase our awareness of how good Jesus is, how present he is in our lives. And from there, we take the pressure off. And when he leads us to do something, we say yes. We say yes, and that's what a kingdom first life looks like. That's how we don't worry about tomorrow. We're not defined by our past. We're living present in the moment by being present to Jesus and his leading in our life. So church, I'm gonna ask you, would you get out your next steps cards? And I'm gonna ask two questions. And this is somebody everybody can respond to. You can all grab your next steps cards. The first question is this. Today, not even committing to doing anything specific, but committing to a life that says, I want to put the kingdom first. I want to be aware that Jesus is present with me in every moment and I want him to lead me. Would you just write, you can write the word yes at the top of your card. You can write, I commit to a kingdom first life. Just write on the top of your card something that says in your heart, I commit to this. I want this kind of life. I want to be aware of how Jesus is leading and not live for myself. You see the beauty of the gospel. It's actually the, the greatest irony and the greatest redemption is that dying to yourself being less self-focused, making life less about you is actually the way to best life. Jesus models this. He dies for us. And so church, I wonder if we can commit to this kind of life where the gospel teaches us to consider others' needs before ourselves, to love with Jesus' kind of love, and the world needs it. Can you imagine a church, 
I'm already seeing it, but can you imagine a church if all of us start to live present to Jesus is with us in this moment and he's leading us to live kingdom first? It would be beautiful. And the second thing I want you to respond to is if God gave you any ideas, if the Holy Spirit deposited any things that you can even do to live kingdom first, not that you have to, but that you can, you can do this. Would you go ahead and just write that down on your card? Maybe it is praying with your kids. Maybe it's being crazy generous at the restaurant you usually go to. Whatever it is, write it down and we're gonna respond together by laying these at the altar, committing to kingdom first life. You with me, church? Amen. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital Next Steps card at EncounterTrinity.com slash Next Steps. Thank you.